Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Did did you have just a... a enthusiastic fireworks filled fourth of july or was it mostly just trying to reassure the dog that the world wasn't ending i mean mostly that i mean fireworks don't start until like 10 10 30 up here mm-hmm. so it was like oh my person has to go to work today so have fun with the dog because he's only going to calm down with you while you're trying to sleep have fun i'm gonna mm-hmm. stay up and like read through the read through the fireworks no, so I don't like fireworks, and so I was just like, whatever. We went to go see Spider-Man Far From Home and then just putzed around the house. I still haven't seen it. I will be seeing it tonight as we as we talk. It's got some good, good Hall energy in it. It's good Hall okay. energy. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to see it yesterday, and then I wanted to see it today. And I, I've been trying to avoid the internet so as to not yeah, be sure. spoiled. And, and I just had to get too much work done, so... Yeah. Uh, but to, to, by the end of today, I will have all of my lesson notes and my invoices and the recital buttons and magnets from June finally done. These are the things that are exciting when you're a small business owner and also a musician. <laughs> Yay, buttons and magnets. Yay, buttons and magnets. So, listeners, I make little button magnet thingies um, of each of my students at our June recital. Uh, and so they have like the ones who have been in the studio for a while have like you've got like a little row of them, you know, over the years as they get bigger and their violins get bigger. And so anyway, it's adorable and very sweet, but it takes a lot of time. And so that's why I'm only done with it now. But I'm going to it's on my list on my wall and I'm going to get to like cross it off and then erase yeah. it. And that is going to be the best birthday gift ever. I'm very I was excited. about to say, is that like your self birthday gift? Because listeners. Yeah. Kate's birthday is this weekend. And... Yes, and and listeners, you know how I know that Noel knows that because Noel is once again better than me, a better person than me because he sent me a <laughs> birthday card already because he's the sweetest. So thank you, Noel. You're welcome. No, I sent it already because I, wor- I was worried about the July Fourth weekend, and I still don't know how long it takes things to get places from Tacoma. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. About yeah. like when I do the cookies, it's always like, uh, this will get there in three to seven days. I'm like, yeah. does that include business days? Does that include weekends? Does that like, and then sometimes like the stuff got to California like a week later than it was supposed to, a week later than I paid for it to get to California last year, and I was not happy. No, um, you should not so be yeah, happy. it's a bit of a crapshoot. Yeah. yeah, so but no, Anyways. I'm glad you like the card too. Thank you. I'm going to watch Stranger Things with my family, get some brunch, uh, get my violin back from the violin shop and pay a bunch of money. And that's my birthday present to me because I fixed a violin um, and and just like relax and do a minimal amount of work. That is my choice to do and not something that I have to do. And that's, that's a very good. exciting birthday for me. Uh, yeah. That sounds really that's good. good stuff. Yeah. Anyways, that's my plans for this weekend. Uh, now, you will not have as much marathoning to do because we caught up. Vince will be very excited. We caught up with Cloak and Dagger this weekend. So, like, that was one of the big ones that we had to get caught up with yes, for the podcast. How are you feeling about that? 
I feel really good to have seven episodes of a television show off my DVR. Is <laughs> how I feel about it. Um, yeah. I feel real, real good about that. Um, yeah, I, I just it feels good to have that off. And now mm-hmm. I'm just like, I now have more time to watch anime. There you go. Well, basically this what I've been doing this summer. So. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. And I will be watching more as well. We're going to be talking about Cloak and Dagger Season 2 at the end of the show, as y'all probably saw when you looked at the title of the episode. Uh, some other news that we should mention. Uh, there's one main thing we should mention. I, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Feedspot, uh, the Feedspot blog, which named us in their top 40 TV podcasts on their best TV podcast list. So thank you for that. Um, the TV news, though, that I feel like we got to at least touch on is Halle Bailey was cast as Ariel in the live action Disney remake of The Little Mermaid. We uh, listeners of the Televerse will know her as one of the twins uh, from from Grownish. And and so, I mean, I think you look at her, you go like, she's going to be cast as Ariel. You're like, yep, that sounds right. <laughs> like she's got like that. Like I, yeah, I, like looking at her and be like, mermaid. I'd be like, yep, that makes sense. She was gorgeous, and very Disney princess. And uh, granted, there are plenty of racist pieces of shit who are horrified that a, a black actor is is playing Ariel. Um, but I don't care about them. I think she's going to do a good job. And also, I'm very excited that they're casting a 19 year old to play a teenage character, which is not a thing that I think happens enough. Um, and it's certainly something that I, I think it just gives such a different context to what you're seeing um, that I can, I can believe her going off to do an impetuous, foolish choice. You know, it is a Melissa McCarthy, rebellion. take my voice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, or Lizzo, as I've seen some yeah. people argue for, um, that I can buy that way more than somebody who's like 28, playing 19 you know yeah and i think i I agree with you it's really good casting and while i probably won't see it just because i i don't care for these live action i'm definitely not seeing the lion king well it's not even live action it's like a mixed animation live action i'm tired of people calling it live action yep (laughs) i mean wait how are they doing flounder because it's just gonna be completely animated yep (laughs) Yep, but, so, but but it's it's like it, it's like photorealistic, so that means it's better, Noel. Don't you know that? Come on, it's not. That's not what that means. It's not what any no, of that means. It's really. But not. we can just we can just bring Josh Spiegel on from Masterpiece, and he can tell us all about it. <laughs> yes, that would be lovely, Josh. If in any case, in any chance you're listening, we would love to hear your thoughts uh, on any of this, and plus, it would give us an excuse to have you on after he's you know he's had us on masterpiece but um yeah no d- always always enjoy uh josh and talking with josh much more than i care for any of these disney things but uh yeah. I, certainly just the fan art that i've already seen popping up around this oh, is good enough- oh it's it's fabulous it, it's it's worth the whole thing as far as i'm concerned um so so we'll see what happens with that but yeah it's seeing some someone that we you know i really enjoy her and and her sister chloe um as the twins on, on grownish and so seeing another actor break out from the like the blackish grownish world i think is a exciting thing so we will follow that if there are more developments yeah and also from you know the disney ranks oh she's a known commodity that's handy yeah, that that certainly doesn't hurt. Um, but we should get into our week in TV. There's plenty of other TV news bopping around. Oh, 
Noel, did you see it? I don't know if you saw it. Next week, we're going to have our Comic-Con preview. The schedule for Comic-Con has been released because it's always released two weeks before. So each day they, you know, it's like today as we record, they've announced Friday. Tomorrow they'll announce Saturday. They'll announce Sunday. Right. So I've looked at the Thursday schedule so far. There's very little I care about on Thursday. But, of course, they have counter-programmed his Dark Materials with Lin-Manuel Miranda and and that whole cast with Superstore. At the same time. That's just mean. Why would you do that? Very little else I care about that. They have the Farscape 20th anniversary mm-hmm. panel, which would be fun. They have the uh, art during the Holocaust panel, which was amazing last year. They have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel before Dark Materials. Um, but, like, why would you do that to me? Don't make me choose between Superstore, which you know is going to be so much fun. Yeah. That's going to be a great panel. And his Dark Materials, which looks really cool. But specifically, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who everybody, you know, he's just adorable cinnamon bun of, of happiness and joy. Like, <sighs> choices. It's difficult. We'll talk about this more next week. But for now, I need to take a moment, recover, listen to a little music, and we'll be back with our week in TV right after this. This week in TV, we are going to talk a little bit about Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, which their episode this week was about warehouses and specifically like Amazon e- and the e-commerce, uh, you know, the way that that's shaping uh, just commerce in the country. Uh, then I'll talk a little bit about Drunk History fame and a little bit about Los Spookies, which I've only seen the first two episodes of, but really enjoyed. More on that in a little bit. Then, Noel, you're going to catch us up with Seven Seeds Part 1, which is an anime that's on Netflix. I'll talk briefly about uh, Claws, Boy Bye, and Big Little Eyes She Knows before we round things out with Queen Sugar, Skin Transparent, or more specifically... We round things out by yelling at Nova, but we'll get there. So first up is last week tonight with John Oliver. And as someone who did make a significant purchase on Amazon this week, I and felt really guilty about it. Um, I do think it's good for me to get these reminders of how important it is for me to try to not give them my money. But I, then I still, as I was like talking to my sister as, as I was doing it. So if I want th- to have this before we leave for Comic-Con, the only way is to buy it on Amazon. So uh, please talk me through abandoning my principles right now. Um, I think basically I think it's good to shame me. <laughs> so I appreciate John Oliver doing the segment. Yeah, and a lot of this isn't particularly new information. The status of the warehouses um, on any shipping but Amazon specifically are pretty well documented at this point. But like you said, it's a really good reminder of, right. This is the cost of speedy e-commerce where, yeah, to borrow the example that Oliver uses. Yeah. You, you really want those Oreos, but there's also a grocery store right there that you can get those Oreos from. (laughs) 
um, if you just leave the house. Um, so I, yeah, so it's, it's good. It's a really good reminder, but I think like the larger thing is thinking about like, like what you were saying of like, all right, how ethical are my decisions when I want to do this sort of thing? And this is a good way to kind of shine a light on it, but also like this sort of hit home for me a little bit because like I live in the greater Seattle area, which is where Amazon is based out of. And I cannot tell you the amount of jobs that are available for Amazon that I am a good fit for. And the degree to which I have for almost three months, well, over three months, resisted applying for Amazon jobs has been really good until like the last couple of weeks where I've started applying for Amazon jobs. Even though anyone who's applied for an Amazon job knows that you just submit a resume and then they scan it with their software. And if you don't get it, it, it they don't say anything. It just goes away. It's like throwing a resume into a black hole. That's um, fun and not at all soul well, crushing. It's not soul crushing, but at the same time, when I'm just really tired of writing cover letters, it feels so good (laughs) 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 to send this resume into a void and meet one of my job activity requirements for my unemployment benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also like something I've seriously grappled with of, all right, I don't really want to work for Amazon and recruiters also keep calling me to apply for Amazon jobs. But I don't want to work for Amazon, and I don't want to commute into Seattle if I don't have to. Um, and just all this sort of stuff. And a lot of it also boiled down to, like, the warehouses. I wouldn't be working in a warehouse. I'd be working in an office up in Bellevue or downtown Seattle, depending on where they stationed that team. And But at the same time, you're still supporting that infrastructure. And the degree to which it's like, but I don't want to, but they pay real good, but I don't want to. And that push and tug of like where would you where do you want to support and like with work and it was just tough and again like this episode was also a really good reminder of something i saw um at a um work source which is the unemployment security retraining workshop type thing people can also just go there to like have free access to computer and printers which is really handy um but like someone there who's one of like the business partners uh with them that helps run like job fairs and stuff pointed out how great amazon warehouses are for people and i just was sitting in that class going but they're not (laughs) but they're really not (laughs) but they're not they're not good yes no it's nice that they offer all that extra training when do they have the time to go to class if they're dead to the world after their shifts that that kind of a thing of like yes no you at some point have to bite a bullet and start taking jobs that you may not want to take and i mean like i'm getting to that point but it is one of those instances where this is a good reminder of like how late stage capitalism snares us all and how difficult it is to break out of it sometimes on multiple levels so i really appreciated that but then at the same time you know this is on hbo owned by you know AT&T slash Warner Media and AT&T is just the worst. Yep. It's the worst. <laughs> I know I'm going to have an internet disruption or a, a phone, my phone go dead as we do this because they'll just hear. They just will know yeah. that we've, we've said that. But yeah. Yep. I got you, corporate daddy. I got you. I got you good. <laughs> uh, I always enjoy that. Over on Drunk History, we had another fun episode. This was Fame, and they're back to their traditional format here for this episode and the previous one as well, which I 
greatly appreciate. Uh, I just wanted to shout this one out for their casting, which was terrific. Um, and specifically Ken Marino as Masterpiece, the poodle, was just brilliant. Brilliant inspired casting. Loved it. And Tessa Thompson being Eartha Kitt. So good. Oh, so good. So like go everyone go watch Tessa Thompson just channel Eartha Kitt. It's delightful. And oh oh and by the way narrated by Nicole Byer. Yes. Uh Byers? Oh, yeah. Byer. Anyways, she's hilarious. Love her. Byer, yeah. Uh it was a very strong episode just for the those dynamics and the casting. So, uh just quick shout out to Drunk History for continuing to crush it in the casting departments. Uh I also on in comedy, I checked out a couple weeks ago, but I haven't I kept forgetting to put it on our list. Uh HBO's Los Spookies. Um now have you heard of this one? I have heard of it, and I've seen, like, articles circulating about how good it is, but I haven't actually watched it. Um, so tell me about what this is, and our listeners who may not know. Yeah, this is a comedy that's on HBO that's entirely, well, not entirely, almost entirely in Spanish, and they do break into English sometimes, and then they put Spanish subtitles on it, and there are English subtitles during the Spanish dialogue. But it's around, a set, like, a group of characters um, it's from a bunch of SNL writers, but the central characters are these four people who basically like start up a like a little business of hauntings and other okay. like supernatural events. So in the first episode, they are faking an exorcism to give a little more shine to a local priest who wants who sees what they did with a themed um like I think it's like a bat mitzvah party or something. And uh, okay. decides that the new priest in town with the insanely glossy lips is uh, taking too much, getting too much attention, and he needs some help. So they, he hires these guys to fake a exorcism so that he can get a little bit more prestige back. And it's very funny. It's based like the log line, right? Is the other side of Scooby Doo? So it's it's the if it weren't for those meddling kids, the people who are actually putting on the events. And now, of course, they're not trying to hoodwink people. They're not hurting anyone. They're hired to provide a service. But, um, but yeah, so they do a, uh, exorcism in the first one. They do a standard haunted house inheritance ploy of see who try to get people to leave the house. Um, and then they're trying to like, are they gonna tip it one way or the other? Because there's somebody that they, that, uh, they would rather like last the longest in the house and therefore get the inherited like inheritance of all this money or whatever um so but it's pretty fun the the dynamics between the group uh is is uh, solid i really enjoy the performances and the it's a quirky but not um aggressively so i guess dynamic and very it was very breezy uh Fred Armisen shows up as a peripheral character and is, of course, very funny when he shows up. But uh, it, it, for me, this was – I was listening to people talk about this one, specifically over on um, uh, Extra Hot Great, but some other places as well, reading up on it. And I was like, you know what? I think I might have found the elusive show that my entire family might in, might enjoy. And that's a, a very rare thing with my family. Um, I can't like my entire family would not enjoy Shit's Creek, and you know how how much I love that. My entire family does not care for Steven Universe. My entire family does not care for many of my favorite shows. So this is like quirky, but not too quirky to put off some members of the family, and it's has an international 
and uh, cultural flair with the the Spanish language and the Spanish speaking characters as the leads, and that brings a different perspective and centers it, the show differently. Um, of course, my brother in law is from Peru; his Spanish is his his native language, so that's another nice thing that throws in there as well, like in the mix of instead of having to always ask us to watch shows that are translated for him just like us reading a show that he you know so it was just, it was this this conflagration of different elements and so we we all sat down and watched it and they all liked it my parent both my parents my sister my brother um my other brother and his, his lovely wife are in virginia so they were not able to watch with us but and then when my uh, brother-in-law came he, he enjoyed it too all of us we all liked it it was it was a beautiful television miracle it does doesn't happen very often, so I don't know a stronger praise that I can give to Los Spookies than that. Uh, it's not like the greatest show of all time, but it was really fun, and I think it's uh, if you're as long as you're not someone who's going to be put off by subtitles, I think uh, it, it's very accessible to a large range of people. Go have some silly fun with Los Spookies half hour comedy from HBO. Okay, now you tell me about Seven Seeds. That sounds ominous. Is is that an appropriate read of this anime? Uh, yes, it is an appropriate. So this is based on a shoujo and then later sort of um, uh, Jose uh, manga. Shoujo being meaning young girls, Jose meaning teen girls and young 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 adult sort of deal um, that deals with a meteorite colliding into Earth, and once the world's governments realize that a meteorite um, is going to strike they end up gathering uh groups of people and putting them to cryogenic sleep uh without really any consent (laughs) and (laughs) of course not (laughs) of course not and so it's they're in groups of seven with a someone who's trained in wilderness survival who actually does know what's going on and after a certain point in which a computer deems that Earth is habitable again or is okay to like start testing for, basically, they get woken up and scattered around their old lands, their own their old places are like um, caches with like emergency supplies and that kind of a thing. So Seven Seeds deals with the aftermath of the whole apocalyptic event and as five groups of survivors in japan all struggle to survive so one's winter one is named winter one's spring there's a fall group and then there's two summer groups summer a which is a group of highly trained specialists and then summer b which is a group of outcasts and dropouts (laughs) cannon fodder right that's (laughs) yeah cannon fodder basically but it was also intended to like balance out summer a which people thought were too dedicated to survive so they wanted another group to balance um the show is kind of aggressively boring um it's not well animated it's from gonzo which is a otherwise terrific studio but they're you can tell that they definitely had production delays because this was production issues i should say because this was supposed to drop on netflix in april and i should also note that when you get a netflix original anime sometimes it's licensed in this case it's actually a netflix like produce sort of deal which is a little rare but they're increasingly staking a lot of money into not, I don't know how much money, but they're increasingly providing funds for um, financing the anime themselves, uh, which is still, it's becoming more common with them. Anyway, so 
if you like The Walking Dead, I think this is a really good thing for you to check out. Um, it's a relatively safe anime for those who don't like anime. There's a lot of like semi-weird science fiction type stuff of like dinosaurs are suddenly back, but so are giant praying mantises and scary bats. So there's that kind of element. But as we all know, Kate, the most dangerous thing in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> universe is man, which oh. is comes into play, especially towards the end of this first part. Um, as the summer a group um, comes into conflict with a number of the other groups and those kind of things try to get sus out, but you learn that man is the most dangerous thing in a post-apocalyptic world quite quickly. Um, so again, if you like The Walking Dead, this might work for you. Um, based on what I've been told about the society, this is also something that would probably fit into someone's wheelhouse. Um, but it's just kind of dull in the long run. It's fine. The animation's not particularly good sometimes. Characters go off model. Um, which is kind of to be expected sometimes, but it's kind of aggressive here. Um, and a lot of it also boils down to the fact that time moves in really weird spaces on this show. Um, because there's a lot of like people traveling to get places and it takes a long time when half of Japan is more than half of Japan is basically underwater. So, but you can't, you can't show people traveling cause that's just boring. So there's like timeline compression type stuff and then timeline elongation type of deals that happen is particularly towards the end of episodes suddenly that cover like almost not real time, but feel like they cover real time as opposed to, Oh, it's been three months since they got back to this place type of deal without like any real notification that that's happened. So it's one of those types of deals. Um, so yeah, it was not the best thing I've watched this summer. Um, but it's a very kind of solid mid brow sort of anime, which is what Netflix seems to want. Um, especially with its original branding programming, which is the other reason why I wanted to like mention it is that this feels very of a piece of a lot of, the stuff that they license or fund of like, it feels very accessible and safe. Even if you don't necessarily want to watch anime or like to watch anime, it feels like a way to, as a way for Netflix to get you to click into that content stream uh, more so than something like Evangelion is, which is for diehard anime fans uh, or for making you a diehard anime mm -hmm. fan. If you actually finish it, um, this just feels very much like a content stream and a content drive to other things and algorithmically decided upon type of deal. So again, it's fine. It's okay, but you could do significantly better in terms of if you want to watch some anime, I have recommendations if you want them, but this is, this is just fine. And so yeah, that's seven seeds. It's perfectly okay. <laughs> yeah, your your description is making me long for the days of Z Nation and the right. very clear like storytelling choice of no, in this zombie apocalypse, you know what the real threat is? The fucking zombies. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> zombies are the worst part. Oh man, yeah. Yeah. I mean like just like nobody can think that's an original perspective at this point, right? No, and it's, it's again, it's really bizarre. Like, the manga ran from, oh, 2001 to 2017, uh, which is a good, it's a good long run. Um, and it won a number of awards um, during the process. So maybe, like, the later stages of the manga are really much more interesting and much more developed than what was adapted here. But this was just kind of 
meh. And it it doesn't feel fresh. It doesn't offer a lot of um, nuance on anything. Uh, everything feels really trite, um, down to the fact that there's an attempted rape in, like, episode 12. That just feels really more gratuitous than most attempted rapes do. Um, as which like is an, saying quite a bit. Which is saying quite a bit, because it just feels like a very weird escalation, especially from a show that up until that point, its references to sex basically amount to the fact that one of the groups, which has been on Earth for about, has been awake in this post-apocalyptic um, world for about three years, uh, one group had been there for about 20 um, that group is down to one person who ha- lives with wolves, basically, and he's domesticated a whole pack of wolves over the course of that 20 years. Um, but one of that group, which has been there for about three years, ends up dominated by this couple um, who were very upset that they uh, were chosen for the project and basically bully everyone else in their group. But one of their mandates is, is that there is no sex. You do not reproduce. We're not going in for this whole concept of rebuilding humanity thing. Um, because this was hoisted on this, which is a neat idea and a neat, neat concept that the, that the show does not really fully explore. But that's the extent of its sexual content is there is no sex here. And then episode 11, hey, here's an attempted rape. And it's like, what? This just comes out... What? No, that's not... Was basically my response to it. It just felt like escalation for the sense of escalation. Fair enough. Uh, Well, I feel like escalation for the sense of escalation is an excellent pivot into claws. And this this week, we had boy bye. Um, The... I I think... I mean, I enjoyed this episode, uh, but I think what particularly worked about it is that there was a much greater awareness of uh the back and forth that desna and her group have been experiencing like the sense of whiplash they're commenting on it a bit in this episode i like that they really commit to desna and roller and they stop going again they stop going back and forth about does she actually care about him or not like what like they they do the dtr um and really put that in a place where you're not gonna well hopefully they still could but hopefully they won't keep going back and forth about are they together are they not do, do, do they actually care about each other or you know is it a more casual thing so i appreciate them what seems like kind of establishing them as a power couple in this show and that that is not gonna that is gonna be one of the more solid parts of the show for the next chunk. Um at the same time they are winnowing away at Dean and, and Virginia, and I don't care for that. Uh while I think what they show us is very organic and makes sense for the characters, like I would I, I thought it was such a great thing that the show had a character on the spectrum like Dean who had a functional and really sweet and loving, happy relationship with Virginia and his fiance. And so them potentially throwing a wrench in that just based on the characters personalities and and stuff it feels it feels real like you know like the idea that dean would get really caught up in a new hobby and not you know be thinking about and paying attention to virginia uh enough and kind of take her for granted uh, i think that that makes sense uh for him but still it's just of the various things you could do i mean i really hope they aren't gonna break them up but i have a feeling that they we're just headed to a point of tension and then they'll get them back together so i'm 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 
not too upset with that, I guess. The uh the the list of things, terrible things that have happened to Roller is pretty ridiculous at this point. Um and the 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 escape that they have. I'm trying to be vague here for in case you catch up. Um the escape that they have is like, why didn't that happen sooner? But it's also so ridiculous and heightened and fun that I'll kind of go with it. And the same is true with Polly. I think the performance that we're getting from Carrie Preston here is so ridiculous, but also she just puts in these little moments of reality with it that just keep you invested so successfully that I am completely down to see whatever you know is going to happen next with Polly, even if I don't actually like her anymore i think mm-hmm. i think i've decided to actually like her i just am very entertained and, and you know, very much enjoy her um and and i think that's just such a tricky type rope to walk and preston just does it terrifically um there's some other stuff going on that i am less enthused with but you know for right now i think the identifying some of these issues with the back and forth uh the, the the lack of stability and the show and Desna's perspective on where what she wants to be and what she wants her crew to be and the level they want to be at and what that means. I think this episode and some of those conversations we get in it really helped uh, me have a little more confidence in where they're headed this season. So we will see what comes next. But I, I would so like just a character piece episode next. Can we just get like Quiet Anne and Arlene like having a cookout or something like i would love just a little quiet time with the characters i just don't anticipate we're gonna get it so we will see also uh, this week in drama big little eyes she knows meryl streep is so deliciously horrible in this show that like i just want to just reach into the screen and shove her just because she's so passive aggressive and controlling and terrible and you can like you you just want to scream at these characters to get a restraining order uh get her out of get her out of their lives but you can also completely understand why they don't feel like they can do that because of this artifice and this like that would be an overreaction because everything she's doing is so it's like gaslighting right it's so low level it's so easy to excuse it's so easy to explain away um uh but to have like it's nuts and what she's doing is absolutely uh horrible uh, and causing so much pain and you can see where she's coming from that character because Meryl Streep is great and also the writing's good um but also like the no I'm trying to be vague here the notion that that she would insinuate herself into some of these characters lives to the extent that she has as quickly as she has um is just really like it's just really bad it's really terrible and um it also feels like something that could so easily happen um when people are too concerned with being polite and not being mean the way that especially women are socialized to be nice and to not be mean and to to think the best of people and to not make a fuss and everything um yeah it's it's really compelling to watch. Um, but it, it feels like you're watching a horror movie, right? you like, just like, get out of the house! Slam the door in her face! What are you doing? <laughs> like, you just want to yell at the screen. Um, so it's a very different um, <laughs> 
way to experience that emotion, I guess, while watching TV, while watching a bunch of rich white ladies and Zoe Kravitz um, have insanely awesome disco-themed birthday parties for their second graders. You know, like, yeah, it's it's... It's. And I'm enjoying this season. Not. I mean, it's nowhere near as captivating as season one was, uh, because you were still discovering so much, and so I think it's. I think it's been a strong continuation, but um, not. It didn't have the same sense of discovery, and you know I, we've been talking about that a bit recently because we talked about that with some of our other recent season twos, like Killing Eve and. Uh, Barry. Um, and and Barry, yes, thank you. Um, and we'll talk about, it, I'm sure, somewhat when we talk about Cloak and Dagger. But the notion that something is new is does not make it better. But when you have, like, I feel like the first, the first part of the story, this is why superhero sh- shows keep going back to origin stories, right? You get to, the first layers of the onion are easier to get right, I think. Mm-hmm. And then to make the second layer and the third layer as as compelling without negating or conflicting with what you've already established is much trickier. Um, and so, and you know, I think audiences are also, it's easy for us to like simple answers and not want to live in the, the complications and the nuance that those second and third layers require. Um, so for me, like there, there was a mis- the straight up mystery theme and impetus and, and energy behind season one of Big Little Lies because uh, like you knew right away that somebody had died and so you spend the whole season trying to figure out who died and how and all of this stuff and season two doesn't have that energy instead you have these other emotions that they're dealing with um, so that it's less exciting in that way but you know when you get to just watch watch Meryl Streep just being like a, a horror villain showing up with cookies. She shows up with a bunt cake at a birthday party she was not invited to or a, a pumpkin carving party she was not invited to that her grandchildren are at. Um the the two grandchildren whose life she is in and also the grandchild at that was a product of rape that they you know this other person just she found out that her, her son had raped somebody and she's like, oh, well, that means I have another grandchild. So I want to be in their life because they're my grandchild. It's like, how fucked up is that, right? But everybody's too polite to be like, no, you need to leave. Bye. We're calling the cops. We're getting a restraining order. Um, it's just crazy making, but um, also very ca- compelling TV. So yeah, I'm going to stop talking. I've been talking too long. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Noel? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, like, it's very specific. So, yeah, yeah, it's not the kind of thing that happens in shows very often. Um, Also, not the kind of thing that happens in shows very often. Me yelling at my TV at Regina Wesley uh, while also being like, but you're also really, really good. But also, Nova, what did you do? So listeners know how I feel about recent Queen Triggers. How do you feel about the show? Now, you're all caught up. Why is Nova so bad, Kate? Why? Why is she so bad? Also, why is her editor so bad that none of this was like, I'm really having issues with this now as this continues to be the driving force of almost the entirety of the tension in this season as we also kind of go into new shady dealings with the Landrys and the politics of that, which, shocker, that Lady Landry was scheming all along. I'm shocked. Shocked. I'm shocked. That, there's, shocked. <laughs> that there's gambling going on in this establishment. Um, and then some of the other, like, stuff with, um, 
Davis's uh, daughter and all that's all that. So there's like plenty of things else going on, but the show is hyper focused on the fallout of Nova's book. And as they keep focusing on that, I'm just like, who are you publishing with that the editor, that multiple editors did not go through this and talk to other people about it so that everyone knew what was happening? So it's just, again, like I said uh, two weeks ago, it's like Fruit of the Poisonous Tree type of thing of like, all right, this is good and everyone's acting the hell out of it. But it's just deeply, deeply contrived and it's becoming like a bigger problem. But at the same time, it's balanced again by the really good acting, by the really good writing, by watching um oh dear what's her name blue's mom oh uh the actor bianca lawson well yes darla yeah darla thank you Uh, darla storming into violet's house Mm -hmm. and just like being like no 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 i treated you better than everyone else and it's just like darla's correct when she's just like when she's down anyone with half a brain (laughs) including my child yeah yeah is gonna figure this out and it's like nova this is deeply unethical. Yeah. All of this is deeply unethical. Yeah. Um, well, so- and oh, here's, here's the other thing. Also, it doesn't need to be a memoir. She could uh-huh. have just written a novel uh-huh. and changed some of the characters, like switched up some, like she could have told these stories without actually being like, also, this is all real and here are the people. Like, yeah. And hadn't had the same impact. I mean, it's different, but still, just about the same impact. Yeah, and I think the reason why is, like, Nova is aggressively about being truthful, but the degree to which she's willing to be truthful about any number of things at this point, um, Mm -hmm. considering not telling them is lying to them about this book. Yeah. Um, Like, there's not an unburdening here. There's not an exploration here. There's a almost a desire for fame that kind of traces back to like, was it season two where she was dating that activist? Um, who's yeah. like circulating in the media quite a bit. Um, and that sort of like, there's maybe a through line here um, to that, but it's just, it's rough. And I don't like being upset at Nova. I don't like it. I don't like not being cool with Nova. Yes. Yeah. And so, but it's also like, after four seasons, as we enter our fourth season, it's good to also be upset with Nova in a very like a visceral way, in a way that the show hasn't really invited you to be upset with Nova any at a, really any point. She's made bad decisions, to be sure, but this season in particular, it's, she's the antagonist for this season more so than whatever plot the Landrys are cooking up and various other things, or, or even um, Jimmy Dale. Um, who, good God, David Allen Greer, just so good. You did not undersell, you did not oversell that. Because that scene with him wanting to be invited into the house, oof, is real good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, yeah, the, the uh, and I'm, he will be back. I'm, I, we know he will no, be back. No, he has to be back. Yeah, but. <laughs> He's going to get that, those shirt and pants cleaned and he'll be back. <laughs> well, I mean, just it's such a smart and uh, thoughtful use of that character because the the more sparing they are with him, the more powerful his impact. Yes. And so now will he like I have no concern that he'll be back in the next few episodes. But, you know, it's just like this lingering, looming threat that when he does come back, it's going to be big. and It's going to be bad. Um, I'm worried for Hollywood. I got to yes, say I am, too. 
And I love them showing the impact of that hanging over Vi, like at her shop where she hears the voice and it sounds like Jimmy Dale. And then Mm -hmm. you walk out and it's Prosper. And, you know, like you couldn't, you you literally could not choose a less threatening, uh, less, uh, like, like a polar opposite of Jimmy Dale yes. than, than we, you know, we love Prosper. Prosper's amazing. And so to have that, like, she doesn't even, can't feel safe in her own establishment, her home, like the, the, this really celebrated, beautiful, like achievement of her entire life. She can't even like work in peace because of that lingering threat. And it's, uh, yeah, even when there is nothing in the, immediately to be concerned with so yeah it's 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 harsh uh, i love micah being totally cool with everything of course he is like it's so perfect for his age too um but i also like that they are taking care to show him actively trying to be there for his mom and support his mom and appreciate her as well and like for him there's no like he can be team nova and also team mom and he doesn't see a discrepancy there while you know Certainly, Charlie definitely, definitely does. And I appreciate that that space that they're giving w- between those two with that. I think it's working nicely. It is. And I really like your point about how he's able to balance those bridges. Um, and without coming off as either wishy-washy or easily influenced or anything, it's legitimately, you did these things, Mom. But at the same time, you're also doing right by the community to a large degree in certain areas, like with the clinic, um, which I was just like, is that the set from the house? And they're just like, yeah, no, we just used our house again. And I just went, sure. Okay. <laughs> Let's just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just go with this. This that, is fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, the we're, we're clearly leading to Charlie running for that same office, right? That's, yes. That's yeah. coming. That will be fun, um, certainly. And the the like, I think that they've been balancing the different storylines really well to this point, because um, it really has just been Jimmy Dale, the diner, right? That kind of stuff. And a little bit with Ralph Angel, but just kind of yeah. mo- mostly just like keeping things like he's just he's working he's doing his thing i you know he's got his he got off of parole and then nova and it's been very uh tight construction and so i think you know getting the first chunk of the season the first third of the season um really centered on that stuff before they go into like larger schemes and the landries and all this other stuff and really start spidering out i think was a smart choice i think they're ready for some to bring that el- those elements in we're ready for a little bit of distance from nova especially after uh you know like the hey my dad probably killed some people yeah. or at least buried some bodies which was beautifully told don't get me wrong and really interesting and compelling storytelling and you know something that i can it doesn't fit at all with the character we met of the of the father but it also absolutely does at the same time you know like yes. a younger version like it's it's both and i think that's really it's really terrific storytelling um but also like <laughs> you i keep waiting like are they gonna go dig up his house like dig up the farm now send dog like like that's the kind of thing that has such massive real world consequences but that you could so easily tell as part of a narrative, a fictionalized narrative that mm-hmm. it just ah makes me want to shake Nova, who's just so full of 
her own importance that of course she feels like it has to be truth but like oh god it's just so destructive i'm really digging the season of queen sugar (laughs) yeah i am too despite my annoyances with the fact that books don't that no one works this way no (laughs) no they don't no reputable publisher would work this way let alone one that would get Nova the amount of press that she's getting for this book mm-hmm. no one works this way um, but I really do appreciate even how the ripple effects of the book are going to start being felt now because it's like well you're going to run for office Charlie well guess what Yeah, here's a bunch of stuff to hang on you with it um, and that'll be that's already starting to happen so it's going to like really ramp up as soon as she starts to challenge Jacob for that seat on the city council or the parish council, however, however that government structure works. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be intense. Oh, and I don't know what it's going to take. Jacob. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to take for Nova and Vi to be good again. I have a feeling it's going to take like someone have being in an accident or like in yeah. the hospital or something like that. So I'm not looking forward to that, but I am looking forward to the journey that gets us to there by the end of the season. Because they're not going to spend all season with her on the outs, so. I had to hear both sides of the story. No, but no, you did not. <laughs> no, you didn't. There aren't two sides of the story. There, are, there aren't two sides of, he got drunk and beat me, and I almost didn't survive. Like, that. there aren't two sides to that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So worst. Listeners, let us know if you're watching Queen Sugar, because I'm pretty sure none of you are, and you should be, because it's really good. Um, But it would be awesome to hear from anyone that they are watching this, too. So, yeah, that would be great. It would be. Yeah. Now, uh, on that theme, what wins your week in TV? Uh, Queen Sugar, um, since most of what I watched was what we were going to talk about in our our third segment, or, well, our second segment, um, which technically would probably win my week in tv uh-huh. um but uh queen sugar for what aired this week what about you yeah i'll go with queen sugar as well um yeah yeah there's i was watching i watched several other things but that's the one that sticks with me and that's clearly you just based on how long we could just talk sit and talk about just these recent episodes there's a lot there and um yeah and even uh, just like we didn't even get into the fact that the landry's are trying to take away Ra's farm, which is like the only thing that brings him joy outside of his family. And it's just, and the way they've, they've, they've shown such pure decency and, and heart and all, and like all he's working so hard and he's get, he's not getting rich, but he's making it mm-hmm. through this strong connection and bringing in the, uh, the other ex cons as like, and, and, and having him, talk just so briefly about how much it means to him to him to be an open space and just yeah. be by himself you know like which i think they they had touched on that before but they hadn't hit it for me recently as powerfully as they did in this episode we didn't even talk about that which is so good so i'm giving it to queen sugar as well oh so good y'all should watch it okay now we will take a break listen to a trailer and come back with season or, or spotlight i should say our season spotlight on season two of Cloak and Dagger. We'll be right back after this. I suppose the best place to start is with a story. A story of a girl who looks like an angel and a boy who moves like a shadow. That sounds crazy. There are things that I can do. 
Look who's been practicing. No, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I make knives of light. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'm assuring freedom like a boat. I'm making the city a better place. I know what you're gonna say. It's stupid and dangerous. What I was gonna say is why didn't you ask me to help? You and me saving the world. I'm running away from bullets. Risking your life. Put my family in danger. Tyrone! There's something for you! What do you do? Fight it. Man needs a blade for that. Lucky I have you. Me too. Did you have to rip it? You're literally a fashion emergency. is full of monsters. This is a different breed. Louisiana is no stranger to sex trafficking. This is so messed up. Who's taking all those missing girls? I want to help. If I don't do it, who's going to do it? You've had your chance. It's my turn now. Who the hell are you? I'm the one who's going to find those missing girls. That was a trailer for season two of Freeform's Marvel's Cloak and Dagger season two. Uh, we were really uh, hot on season one of Cloak and Dagger, at least the beginning of the season, and then kind of cooled by the end. Um, we talked a little bit. Well, you certainly talked about the, the beginning of the season. I got it behind immediately. Um, but this is one that I was interested, but maybe not excited about. Um, and found myself really enjoying watching season two. I think they were like, I think the heights of season one might've been stronger, but the yes. overall for season two was really terrific. I thought there was a lot of really great stuff they were doing, but I also very specifically liked watching it as like a mini binge, like over the course of yes. the week, I thought it worked really, really well in that format and without the stakes of like, which, and being able to just kind of take it as a whole and not like, is it like every week thinking about, Oh, is it as good as last season or how's it compared to these other shows? Just taking out it on its own terms. I had a lot of fun with the season of cloak and dagger and I'm certainly very excited for what season two what season three, sorry, is going to bring. Um, well, if so, we get a season three, they haven't if, picked it up yet. If we get a season three, well, if they don't get a season three, I think it's a good end. Yes, it is. It's a the season finale functions really well as I think sort of a series finale. Um, but also, goodness, I hope it comes back in some capacity because I think you're right that the heights of the season don't hit season one, but it's a significantly more consistent season, and it's a significantly more thoughtful season insofar as. It's telling a very intimate story, which I really, really appreciate, and which makes a huge difference compared to the, all the Roxxon conspiracy stuff, which didn't work and ended up bogging down season one in a lot of ways, which is why we both kind of cooled on it to large degrees. And so transitioning to something a lot smaller was a very smart. And one of the other big takeaways I, while watching this, while I was thinking about it, was 
the degree to which that we talked about the Netflix Marvel shows as the street level heroes. Um, no, this is it right here for me. If, like Cloak and Dagger is a street level hero show, especially season two in particular, because it's just so dedicated to this one concept and then finding a way to make a larger commentary through this particular one concept of finding out where these traffic curls are going and what's happening to them. And that's just pure street level type stuff. This is small time, quote unquote, street level stuff compared to like, well, we got to fight some crime lords that are developing real estate in Manhattan, Um, which yes, no, you should do that too. But (laughs) here's this stuff happening in New Orleans that we should probably talk about and do something about. And I really like that idea. And I really like that concept. And the fact that the season ends with a, with them on a mission to continue that kind of work and taking a bus to get there. It's just so good. It's so good. And so I was very, very happy with season two. I really regretted basically watching three episodes and then stopping until we decided to do this um, segment because it's just really good. Um, But I also think you're right in that it works really good as like watch two or three episodes, do another two or three episodes um, the next day. Because it, it just, it works really well in that format, I think. Um, so, yeah, I really, really liked this season a whole lot. Yeah. They also were really thoughtful about how they, and made some smart choices about how they paired the cast and uh-huh. in which characters were essential and which ones were not. Having, I mean, and these are characters that I enjoyed and I thought were very well performed in the first season, but... With one exception, I thought all of the characters they paired back, it was the right choice. Um, The exception is Evita. We needed so much more Evita. We didn't need Evita to be with them. But when she makes her choice in one of the climactic moments of the season, it had almost no resonance um, outside of like, this is what needs to happen for the story. Because we had just like been told these other things that she's going to have to give up in order to make this choice. And if we had seen her working towards that, if we had become invested in that, if we had gotten to understand some of the background of what was coming, it would have packed such a bigger punch. It would have been so much more impactful and meaningful. And that was like, it's just such a missed opportunity. And in a season that made so many other really terrific choices around the characters' intentions and where they were headed, centering Tandy's journey this season on, like, after everything we got in season one about, you know, her dad died and all this other stuff, and, and then her life went to shit after her dad died, this discovery that, no, her dad was an abusive piece of shit. And now she spends the entire second season trying to process and handle that i loved that they love that that was like a clear thread for her they're like this is her her arc we don't need anything else we don't need a love interest we don't need these other things we, we're not gonna like try to do shipping with our main two not really we're, we're just gonna have her dealing with the fact that this idolized figure of her father was was an abuser and the only reason she wasn't abused is that he died tragically before he could beat her too you know like oh what a great small like you said low like street level low level very uh human 
thread to focus your superhero show on, or at least one half of it. Right. But then also with like Tyrone, we get him on the run and really epitomized by this um, perfect self that he has to encounter um, in, um, in Level Up. Uh, but it was also sort of threaded, the concept of that is threaded throughout of like, what is he supposed to do now if he's not following that path of what success is supposed to be? And the degree to which the, that gets explored here, I think is really, really good. And I think that again, giving them singular threads throughout everything works really, really nicely um, for both Tandy and for Tyrone. Um, I do agree with you that Evita and Chantel are both just underdeveloped here, especially for given their importance, especially in like the last two to three episodes, the degree to which that they're not present and then just narratively need to be present because the story demands it because they need to provide a degree of explanation for what's going on is not great. And your point about like Avita's goals and concepts and that loss there doesn't get as explored as it should. And then just having how the episode ends, how the season ends works great for Tandy and Tyrone, but doesn't really tell us what a poor Vita is going to have to deal with now. And that's really, that's a disservice to that character who essentially was promised to be really kind of developed, especially after season one, reduced to a plot device. And that's the biggest sin for me anyway of uh, this particular season. Yeah. I liked that they, you know, this this thread of the dad for Tandy, the perfect self for Tyrone. A lot of shows would not think that was enough. But particularly on on Freeform and on a network that's geared towards uh, young adults and teens, um, I loved that that was very much a statement that this season was making. No, that is enough. That's plenty. Let's actually give this thread, these threads, the respect they deserve and not like have like, like that, the idea that that's not a, like, it's again, the same, you know, we were talking earlier about Spider-Man, right? Like the, the low level problems, the day, like, okay, yes, you're a superhero, but uh, do you have rent? Did you get your, you know, your, did you get your copy in on time to the newspaper? Because you're going to lose your job and that's not going to help you to be a superhero if you don't have a job, right? So like having the, that, that giving the weight that that kind of self-exploration and identity crisis that people deal with, you know, day to day, giving the weight that it deserves feels quietly revolutionary in these kinds of shows. And like I think of, uh, for example, uh, Runaways, and granted, I'm a season, maybe two seasons behind at this point. One season behind. One season yeah. behind. Okay, renewed, but not back yet. Okay. Um, yes. I, that I would love to see Runaways take this kind of care with their characters. And like really any of them, because they all have really serious stuff, heavy stuff that they're trying to deal with. Um, and the, I think they have most, for the most part, actors who can handle it, but they just aren't, they don't think it's exciting enough. They don't think it's sexy and fun and exhilarating enough to, to watch someone deal with the impact that their, their, like the, their life taking a turn has had on their family and their community and all these things they thought they would be. I mean, Gronish did this episode 
like in a very different way <laughs> this week with Zoe reflecting on who she thought she would be when she was a t- at her current age when she was a teenager when she was like a 14 year old and this is such a such a better take on that it's not even close so so more interesting and compelling um so yeah, i just that is really at the core of what why this season worked for me um but i think they also had a strong villain they also had uh they they doled out action and character and suspense and in good measure they had um a appropriately creepy villain and conceit yes it's a bit you know predictable or uh, contrived of like the 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 evil jazz musician guy who is soulful but tricky like i feel like i've seen that kind of character before um certainly like something like mahershal ali's character right cottonmouth uh no not cottonmouth sorry um what was his character on luke cage um the who's who's also again he owns the jazz he's a jazz trumpeter he owns the club right i feel like there are some threads there um, but the way that they conceptualized the lower realm, I thought worked really well. The way that they tied in the records with these other, uh, these other characters and with their continuing development threads was really, uh, I think it was good visual. It was very efficient storytelling. And because they didn't feel like they needed to keep doing more, they kept returning to the same things and then just tweaking them a little bit, developing them a little bit more. I thought that it was very effective. It is, and like you, you've got so much there that I just want to address all of it. Um, so, like going to the lower realm so much, I think really worked for me because, I mean, you mentioned Runaways, and Runaways is admittedly like a very different show at this point, where it's frothy and adventure-driven type of thing, and it's not as much as it wants to be character-driven. It can't totally commit to that, in part because its cast is so large and because they want to service the um they want to service the adults so much which is understandable as we talked about when we watched season one of like you got a really good group of adults you want to spend a lot of time with them um and you cannot blame them but you also have a number of young adult actors who could all knock really good heady material out and they do a job with everything else that they get but they don't get this kind of material in which like the the cloak and dagger use literal literalization of metaphor i think and it's a it's literal it's a it's desire to like go interior literally um it's just really delightful and it's really it's a little heady and it's a little experimental but at the same time and this is something that i was thinking about particularly when we get to like um two player which is episode eight um but also that basically follows through eight nine and ten of like this could be really this could be very deeply pretentious like they made their own video game to talk about tyrone sort of getting his powers back and so you see a video game you've got self-awareness of tandy be like they're all dressed the same they just have different hats on (laughs) (laughs) what is going on how's this fun and that whole thing of like, this could be really pretentious. And then I kept going, oh, wait, this is my answer to Legion. This is what this is. Cloak and Dagger is my answer to Legion. Thank you, Cloak and Dagger. Um, because there's a desire to explore an interior mindset and an emotional mindset that, yes, sometimes feels a little rote of, all right, well, 
we're fighting doubles over ourselves. Switch partners. And it's just like, yes, no, obviously you're going to switch partners. That's how this works. This it's is much how this easier always to shoot. Works. Yeah, it's much easier to do that. But at the same time, I think more so than anything in a lot of more recent examples of switch partners type thing, the way that they talk about each other as they're fighting their their each other's doubles is really good. And it speaks to the degree of we're not shipping these two or putting them into a relationship mode because whatever they're, they've got going on is significantly deeper than that. And that's really potent as well to see that on an, a young adult show of like their relationship is something different from that. Yes, maybe there's an element of that, but there's also an element of it's us against the world sort of deal. And that's really potent. And that's really powerful. Um, so I really appreciated that the, all of it, like the record store is so good and they just get so much mileage out of that set that I really, really like it. Um, and oh, I think we need to take a moment, uh, shout yeah. out the, the, the prop department for all those covers, all those gorgeous album record covers. covers yeah. Right. Yeah. And just like that, the, the, the willingness to make sure that we get to see a lot of those too. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And then also making sure that there are like different records as well as the other thing. Like Mm -hmm. you had to make records. Like maybe you didn't make like vinyl records, but you made records for us to see. Mm -hmm. And so there's like a lot of prop work to make that happen. Yeah. And And even for like the the missing girls, right? When you see like when it's not our villain, but when it's the our heroes like kind of thumbing through, like trying to figure out what what this is. there, There was thought and care put into girls that characters that we never really meet but they the prop department whoever was in charge of that was like no i'm gonna tell a story just yes. with with the even we will maybe never meet this character but i'm gonna take i I love my job and i'm glad i get to do it and so here's what i'm gonna put into it you know yeah and like the degree to and this is something that ties into all of this about how quietly crafted this show is, is like other shows wouldn't take that care to do that yeah. and it's especially important given the subject matter of we're talking about trafficked girls. Mm-hmm. And so the show showing those off-screen characters the degree of respect of, well, we need to show these props to represent them, basically. We need to make sure that that's done respectfully. And the degree to which you show that is by taking the time and the care to show all these different record, lab- record covers that tell a story even if it's real quick. And that's just good prop work. It's good art direction. And it's just good show craftsmanship. It's good show um, running. It shows a, yeah. a, a, the priorities of the whole show. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's really well crafted. And then I really like this take on Despair, who's normally like a demon from the hell's depths of the Marvel universe. So making him a disgruntled jazz musician, yes, it feels a little trite. It feels very much a jazz player who makes a deal at the crossroads sort of Mm -hmm. deal. Um, But I think that the way that they build it up and the way that they hold Despair back as long as they do I think it helps make the actual degree to which um, he's present, especially in the last like four to five episodes, all the more potent. And this, (laughs) I could not help but laugh at the whole, 
especially at the beginning of the finale where people are just disappearing. And I just went, oh, snap, it's the snap. And it's not the snap. <laughs> and also the leftovers. <laughs> and the leftovers. Um, so it's just, it's, I was just like, oh, things are happening. Mm-hmm. But it was just, it was really kind of amusing at the same time. And I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. Um, in the aspect of, yes, it's something that's been trotted out before, but it's also the way that it's someone who feeds on hope by like taking however he functions of like feeding on their despair to cure his migraines um, is really good because it's deeply predatory and the way in which that they feed that degree of like, oh, there's something else. There's some other brass ring for me because of this, which helps extend it beyond just, I'm trying to get rid of migraines. I think is really, really good. And it also, weirdly enough, runs parallel to the super empathetic character whose empath powers in Jessica Jones, hamburger Mm. guy, um, (laughs) who gets really bad migraines whenever he's around evil people. But when the people, evil people around him die, his migraines get lessened. The, the show just doesn't fully deal with. Like, it kind of toys with it a little bit through when he and Trish kind of team up towards the mm-hmm. end of the season. But they don't do enough with it. That the ramifications of that aren't explored. So this feels like a really good kind of counterpoint of someone who 90% of the time helps people, but that 10% of the time mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't. And so... I like that the show doesn't make him out to be an anti-hero. No, he's just bad. Mm-hmm. Cause it would be so easy. And and like the idea that he also fully is like, he doesn't necessarily believe, but he is selling his, yes. his like, Oh, my pain, my, I'll do any. And, and even when he's by himself, even when he's like, yes. when he leaves Leah, when he, when he all but kills Leah, right? Like that's, he wasn't planning to, he just like, he will always choose himself and yes. lessening his pain over anyone else. There is no person he will not put into that dark room of hopelessness if it means that he doesn't have he's not in pain. And I think the there's a decent respect for that of what pain can drive chronic pain like that can yes. drive someone to become that he wasn't that to start out with. And he's not chasing godhood because he wants power. He's chasing Godhood so that it'll stop hurting. And he doesn't care <laughs> that he has to kill a bunch of people to do it. That is, you know, so in that, and that is a different kind of evil, right? That, that is a different kind of darkness. And I think the, the show, the representation of that is, is nuanced enough to be interesting without taking a cheat, you know, anywhere along the way. Um, the, the element of, of the, like I, I liked some of the 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 music. I I didn't actually enjoy most of the musical choices, but they definitely had a theme throughout the season of like these like more ballad style covers, covers. of yeah. these energetic pop songs. Um, frankly, I would rather listen to the originals. Um, but uh, but th- there was clearly an oral like like soundscape they wanted to go for. And when we find out that our villain here is, was created the same night of the rocks. I was like, Oh, come on. But they, I thought they got off of that. Don't quickly star enough. city us. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I thought they got off of that quickly enough that it that I would, I would give it to them. But like his, his power, he was a, uh, like the reveal of him initially was really impactful. I thought really effective. Um, the, combination of 
of like where like how how they used him throughout the season and when they started using him more and more and uh and of of the really mundane real life um way that the these women uh these girls were trafficked and and kept there you know through um through just run of the mill conditioning and yes. and emotional and psychological abuse uh as well as his uh, it wasn't just like oh, well he's got these superpowers so we're going to have it be an allegory it's like no they did both <laughs> it's it's yeah. not just that i thought that that was again like you said respectful and not um putting a sh- like a shiny sheen of of distance you know i thought that there was enough grit there for the like that matched the show um the other parts that i, th- I mean we haven't t- really talked about mayhem we got to talk about mayhem a bit i think and i also really enjoyed papa legba and as someone who was not invested in fuchs i thought they had just the right amount of fuchs too this season um so like i was surprised i was that i was still impacted every time he came he showed up when i didn't really care about him in the first place um so so I like in in our current landscape having the the resolution for mayhem for that split of Bridget be no the 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 psycho rage version of me is the one that needs to be in charge right now that's the world we're in right now like that never happens that never happens it's always like Bridget will be in control but she'll let out mayhem when it's time you know like and they'll like and that's what they always choose and so to have it go the other way um again in our current political landscape happy 4th of July everyone um that's one of many reasons I wasn't celebrating fireworks this year um was just it felt again really like a um quietly powerful and a strong statement it did. It was really well done. And Emma uh, Lahana does a really good job of making the differentiation between Bridget and Mayhem feel really clear, um, particularly as Mayhem's presence within Bridget is gone. So Bridget feels a lot more timid than she even did in than she did in season one. Uh, when Mayhem was still sort of there and we get introduced to Bridget as she's having sex in her patrol car. Um, So we get that kind of stuff. And then separated from that, Bridget is wants to do things, but is ineffectual in doing those things. And then Mayhem... She did have some strengths, but but certainly not enough. Not enough. And Mayhem has those strengths, but also needs... A controlling hand. So like you said, the decision to let mayhem reign, basically. Um, but a controlled sort of burn, almost, is refreshing, but also appropriate, again, for a season that is essentially about reconciling things that you do not want to reconcile within yourself. And the degree to which those certain... Th- all through the season, even down to despair, even down to um, Lila or Leah, Leah, um, how those things get played out across the season. There's just a really good focus, even with Mayhem, who, again, fades in and out of the narrative sometimes. But then you get her running into, um, what's his name? Fuchs? Fuchs? Yeah, Fuchs. Um, in various bloody grotesque forms, but also played off with, yes, spearmint. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, good stuff. I, you know, it just there was a an a 
an awareness and a respect for darkness and these kinds yes. of stories and that you need it there. And I mean, you also see that in the decision around, uh, uh, of how to write the, the, you know, obviously his mother and, and Connors. Right. And then she's like, no, he's dead. She killed him. She didn't like her better natures didn't win out. And she, not only that, but she knew she was going to kill him for a long time because she set up that whole room. So, yeah, I thought that that and then like, well, we also go with the priest and some of these other things like there is just a good. A, what feels like a genuine for the world they've created um, and very much more palatable also right now, a balance of that. It doesn't feel squeaky clean. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't you know, like it's not Flash pretending to be dark for a while. You know, it's not the uh, grandiose darkness of Arrow it's a much more lived in and authentic kind of feeling balance. Um, and I think that that, I just think, I think it really works to, to bring the whole show together and to give it this cohesive tone. Yeah. And I think that's really important is that there's a really, like you said, cohesive tone to this season and it's a really tight 10. And it's really well executed, 10. So, and, you know, they worked in a good Luke Cage reference near the end there. Yes, they did. Uh, to, which I appreciated. <laughs> As did I. Um, any final quick one-offs, other things you wanted to mention real quick? Um, no, because, I mean, we covered covered the really good, we covered the really good art design and everything. Um, we covered... You mentioned the music, which I agree with. Um, so, no, I think it was just a really good season, and I want to. I want a season three. I want to see what this show does now that Tandy and Tyrone are going to make a conscious effort, as opposed to sort of a scattershot effort, or we get plunged into something sort of effort of like, nope, we've got a file, we're going to do this. And we're going to fix this. I've Tyrone's like, I've sort of fixed the gang problem a little bit here yeah. <laughs> in New Orleans, just a little bit. So I can I can move on to this. And yeah, I just I'm ready for I'm ready for that. And one thing I will say is that that does not come as much in season two, but it was one of my favorite things of season three, season one, I should say, uh, was I want more story framing devices. Um we get that in uh, whatchamacallit, um, and I think whatever one is framed by Tandy's alt toast to perfect Tyrone. Yeah, um, that which one that was is. stupid though. I did not like that one. That story because it didn't actually make like connect to anything. The it story didn't, didn't it make didn't connect sense. to anything. It didn't. But remember when all those stories made sense in season one and it worked really well as a framing device? I really yes. want them to go back to that in season three. Okay, uh, yeah, we're on I the same really page, liked. Yeah, I really liked that, but they downplayed it this season. And I was just like, but that was one of my favorite storytell storytelling things that you all did. It was really good. Please please bring that back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked the I thought the video game was super fun. I liked the design of that. I thought yes. that was a lot of fun. Um I also really liked uh, you know, and again, this is something that if I especially I'm so glad I wasn't writing about this show. If I was writing about the yeah. show, I would have a much worse opinion of it i think because i would like have i would be like tearing into the details and i wouldn't it's harder to appreciate the broad strokes when you yeah. are writing a thousand words each week um 
and I, you know, I saw that in some of the reviews about the video game episode. People thought it was too cheesy or too, like, I was like, nah, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, yeah. But I also really liked the symbolism and the the costuming, right, of like going back to these archetypes over and over and over again. Um, yes, it's very, it's on the nose, but I don't really care because I thought that they, the actors sold it. I thought that it made sense in this realm of um, symbolism and of identity, these ex- explorations of identity. Um, I loved the detail. Well, I mean, it wasn't a detail, but I loved that in the alt reality to try to lull Tandy into happiness or whatever, complacency, that we see her give this huge hug to Ty, and then we see her give this huge hug to Evita, because you know, you know so many other shows would have been like, alt-reality, excuse for them to be dating, right? And it's right. not that exactly. at all. No. no. Oh, and it, that, that restraint is so admirable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, much appreciated. So there were just a bunch of little things like that that I really appreciated. I like having the Tandy's mom, uh, like, start using again and have that just absolutely devastate her and then you then she realizes oh then we realize through the the shop right the record shop that that the andre's been working on her and that's why mm-hmm. you know it's, it was and, the, and but not have it like not add the supernatural to that first moment i thought was again another good sign of restraint because they're not giving her an excuse Right. And they're not excusing yes. away the pain that this causes. And then to to then bring it back, you know, to to, to give to tie it in with the overall thread and, and add, make it another element to give uh, our characters and specifically Tandy more more uh, drive and and motivation and, you know, to show the impact that this guy is having, like just to everyone based on what it's having with her. I thought it worked really well. Like so like to keep it separate and then tie it back in after that um, so that the moment can have the weight it needs. And then to end their like to end that with not with them together, but with her mom helping her pack was such yes. a lovely way to end that too. It's not like, Oh, you need to be here with your mom or else you can't be happy or else your mom is going to fall off the wagon or just this understanding of Tandy needs distance as well. She like, she loves her mom. She knows her mom is trying her, her best, but she also knows that she can't necessarily count on her. And only some to extent of that is that her mom's fault. Um, and so, you know, just again, the way that they handle these different character relationships even when i'm like i i want to watch more andrea roth absolutely but she did not belong in a single scene more than she was in the the character and you know so just to to again the balance i really appreciated it more of these shows need to do 10 yeah i agree and as as unified a 10 as well yeah Definitely. Um, well, we have talked way longer about Cloak and Dagger season two than I thought we would. So, Vince, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Let us know what you thought. <laughs> uh, but we had a lot to say, and it was, there's a lot to dive into. So, clearly, yeah, we really enjoyed this season. Uh, listeners, let us know what you thought about Cloak and Dagger season two and about you know how this show and you know relates to the other shows in the Marvel TV universe. Um, if you show us here at the end of the episode, you can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on facebook and start up a conversation there you can email us the televerse at gmail.com you can find us in a- uh, apple podcasts with an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed we'd appreciate ratings and reviews and we're also up on stitcher and we'd like ratings and reviews there as well as a reminder i will be at comic-con san diego comic-con in a couple weeks so if you're going to be there sh- you know sh- give us a shout out let us know and i'll see you around the con somewhere um but for now that wraps things up i am on twitter at the televerse noel you are 
at Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great week, Kate. Thank you. And thank you for my birthday card. You're welcome. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 